Love is the choice of obedience, not just an emotion. That message rings loud and clear through John chapter 15, and it's where we're headed next on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. From Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado, this is Abounding Grace. Pastor Ed Taylor will be with us momentarily and we'll join him in John chapter 15 at verse 16. You don't have to look far in today's world to see examples of hatred. Sadly, even from those you wouldn't expect. But God wants us to be shining examples of his love. And you can be sure we'll stand out as we do. But what does love look like? Stick around and find out. You'll see it has more to do with a choice than an emotion. Notice verse 16, he says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear much fruit. Now we know what kind of fruit he's asking here. The context of here is, you could say it this way. We could rephrase this. You didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and love. That's the fruit that he's speaking of here, that you should love, bear fruit. In another place in the Bible, in Galatians, Paul declares on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that the fruit of the Spirit is love. And then what does love look like? Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All combined of what love looks like in our lives. But he says, you didn't choose me. You didn't choose me. Now, when we do an altar call here, or we call for a response to the gospel. An altar call. It's really representative. If we, you, me or anyone else ever asks you to come up to the front here, this stage represents the altar of God and we ask you to come up and make a commitment. And you do. Many times I'll just have you stand where you're at and have people pray for you where you are. Sometimes it'll be the raising of the hand. Sometimes not at all. We just give a, an invitation for those that are out on the radio or out online and just sitting or just pray and accept the Lord. We do that and we do that often. If you've ever responded that way, you may be confused a little bit in thinking that you chose God. And maybe even that language is used sometimes where, okay, who would like to follow Jesus? Who would like to choose to commit their life? And we might even use that language. But listen, the Bible says that you did not choose God. He chose you. Everything that we do is in response to what God is doing in our life. The Bible says that no one comes to the Father except through Jesus Christ. No one comes to the Father except being drawn by the Holy Spirit. We're going to learn in another study not too long from now that the Holy Spirit was sent into the world to bring conviction of sin. We are always the responders. God is always the initiator. And so we can't even take pride in the fact, well, I chose. Yeah, you responded to the work of the Holy Spirit in your lives. The good news is, is that Jesus Christ has made available salvation to everyone. The Bible says, whoever will come to me, Jesus says, I will in no wise cast out. Whosoever will, the Bible says, let him come. And this doctrine of choosing is also known as the doctrine of election. There's a lot of 
theological arguments about election. But every single believer believes in election of some sort. The disagreements are how God elects and how God chooses. But there is a theological, when you think of election now, and you hear that in a conversation, you hear that on the radio, with election, you can write next to that choosing, because that's what it means. It's not primarily a political statement at all. It's a theological statement. You did not choose me. He's telling us, I'm your friends, but you didn't choose me. I chose you. And I was thinking recently how grateful I am that God chose me. I'm very happy he chose me because I didn't choose him. After ample opportunities, but my grandmother, my mom, being in church at different times, even all the way through high school, people that were getting saved and sharing the gospel with me, I didn't choose God. It wasn't my choice to live for God. It really came home. I think I've shared it previously, but it really has come home recently to me uh, as I got some reports back from my, I can't believe this, but we just had our 30-year high school reunion. I can't believe it's been 30 years since I've been in high school. I graduated high school when I was five. I'm one of those prodigies. Uh, I wasn't able to go to my reunion, but I got some feedback from guys. And, and just hearing, you know, first of all, the people that showed up, they're pretty much doing the same thing that they did when we were in high school. Partying, getting drunk. You know, some of them were so, so bad that they had to call Uber, you know. Like, hey, we want to make sure these guys get home safe. Sounds just like it was in high school. But then there was that occasion, that one person that they mentioned with me that uh, wasn't at the reunion. Uh, Instead, they were talking about him uh, because he's in prison right now, serving a prison sentence for a decision that he made under the influence of a substance that led to the death of someone else. And I couldn't help but think and, and have my heart pricked, not only for the family that lost their loved one, but to think of how God rescued me from that kind of life. That's where I was headed. That, that's exactly what would have happened to me. I would have done some great damage to someone's life under the substance of something, thinking I'm okay, thinking I'm going to get away with it, thinking that I've gotten away with it so many other times, and my heart just sank because, well, because of the family, but then my heart was revived because God rescued me from that. I'm not that man anymore. Uh, most of you here today never met that man And that's a good news. I'm glad you didn't meet him. Uh, It it would not have been a good occasion, I'm sure. And some of you, when you think of this, you're like, "You, you know what, Lord? I know I didn't choose you. You chose me. And thank you for choosing me. Thank you for your friendship. Thank you for your appointment, he says in verse 16. Thank you for your calling. He says, you might want to mark this. I chose you and appointed you that you should go. That you should go. You combine that with other teachings in the scriptures that you should go and preach the gospel and make disciples. Yes, we are the church gathered, but yes, we will in a few moments be the church scattered. And you're called to go. One of the greatest hindrances of faithfully going in the name of Jesus Christ is you may believe that you're not qualified to preach the gospel or you're not qualified to talk to somebody about your faith or you're not trained Or some people might even say, you know, I I haven't been to Bible college, or I haven't been to seminary, or I'm not an ordained minister of the gospel. But listen, verse 16 is your ordination. Verse 16 is your ordination. You don't need to go to Bible school. You don't need to go to seminary. You just need to obey the Lord. I chose you and appointed you that you should go. But what about training, Ed? Don't you think I should... 
like get trained in some way? Yeah, I, I, think, I think you should. Now, when I was saved, I couldn't go to Bible college and couldn't go to seminary, and my life was already upside down, and I had to get a job and provide for my family, and I just couldn't stop everything and go and, and take that route. Um, although, um, I, I can say now that after 25 years, uh, I do finally have my Bible college degree hanging, and I didn't print it out in my office. It was sent to me. It's legit. It took me 20 years to finish it. I do have that, but I was pastoring for 20 years, 15 years, something like that, before I ever got it. Why? Because it's God's hand upon your life that matters, not just education. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not against education at all. And if you have the opportunities to get it, then I'll tell you what I told my kids. Get as much education as you can, as fast as you can, as cheap as you can, because it opens doors. Uh, And it opens doors in this society where God wants you to go in your career, where God wants you to go and how he's gifted you. And and so, uh, hey, I'm not against education. Go for it. Uh, If my life wasn't backwards, I'm sure I would have got a lot of education because I'm just one of those guys that loves to study and love school. I just love that part of life. But I blew it, and I had to do it a different way. I had to go a different way. God brought me in the back door of ministry, and for that I'm grateful. Some people would say, well, wait a minute, Ed. I just come to your church, and you're telling me you haven't been to seminary? Sorry. (laughs) It's, It's true. I haven't. But so many of you haven't either, and you're just as qualified to serve the Lord as I am. God wants to use you. And let me just say, the number one thing that you can do in training yourself for serving God is to be a man or woman of this book. You've got to know the book. There is no shortcut in serving people in God's name than this book. I know there's a lot of effort to get it out of your hands. There's a lot of effort not to emphasize it in your life. But listen, this is, this is it. It's the Spirit of God working through the people of God using the Word of God in lives. That's it. That's ministry in a nutshell. That's all there is. And the more that you know of this book, the better. And if you're crunched for time, there's a couple things I can give you right away. First of all, I would suggest that you do what we all did here. And that is, anyone that's ordained in the ministry here has gone through the Bible with Pastor Chuck Smith. I think there's like 350 Bible studies. And in the day, we used to put the tapes in, blue and white. And I remember when I got an upgraded Walkman. And it had the little button where you didn't have to take the tape out and flip around anymore. Just hit the button and it would go and flip the tape for you. Yeah, I arrived. My little yellow sports Walkman that was water resistant. (laughs) And we went through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation. Sometimes his Bible studies were an hour and a half. Sometimes they were 45 minutes. And that was you rejoice, yes. But you can go through the Bible with Pastor Chuck. Another thing you can do besides your regular devos, and this is something, here's a few things that have been lost in the church today that I keep reminding and reminding, and hopefully you pick up on them. Number one, people aren't memorizing scripture anymore. You've got to hide God's word in your heart that you might not sin against him. Whether it is that you have a little tool on your app or you write it down on the three by five card in your back pocket, but you've got to put the word of God in your heart, giving the Holy Spirit something to work with when you don't have a Bible on you. And, and Bible reading has kind of gone the way 
uh, just fall, fall, to, fall, fall into the wayside where you're just regularly reading the Bible. You're not studying it. You're not trying to figure things out. You're just taking it in, just taking it in, taking it in. But I'll tell you another thing, and it might be a little convicting for you, but it's something you can do that won't... It's something that not many people are doing anymore, and I don't know why exactly, um, but not many people are doing anymore, and that is you could be taking notes right now during this Bible study, and it won't cost you any more time in your life. If you do two Bible studies a week, that means over 100 pages or how many pages you take notes. You know, what you write down, you tend to remember. And I'll tell you right now, if you don't take notes right now, and I quiz you on Wednesday what we taught on Sunday, you won't, you, you'll have a hard time remembering the title of the message. That's not because uh, that, that you're a bad person. It's our memories. And they, they tell us that the more, you know, you remember a certain amount what you hear, you remember a certain amount of what you write down, and then you remember a certain amount what you repeat and look at during the week. And without taking any more time, you can write, you can take notes on what's being taught from the pulpit. Which raises the question, because sometimes we'll have people here coming from another church and say, well, you know, the church I came from, they provided us no pastor. And all we needed to do was remember, listen closely and we could fill in the blank. And I think that's great. I think it's a great step. And you wonder, why don't we do this here? I'll tell you why we don't do that here. We made a conscious decision. Not to, I made a conscious decision not to do that here because I don't want to train you to listen to me to find the words for the blanks. I want to train you to listen to the whole time and let the Holy Spirit... You see, if you're just listening for the words for the blanks, you may miss what the Holy Spirit wants to say to you. You may miss something that God's going to bring in and go, well, what's the word? What's the word? And you might even go to your neighbor. What's the word? What's the word? And while you're... No, what's the word? What's the Holy Spirit have for you? And so we want you to take notes. Now, I know that not providing notes uh, tends to not remind people to take notes, but I can tell you, if you really want to advance your knowledge of the Bible, at least in the sections of Scripture that we cover here as a church, writing down... That's why I even tell you, open up your Bibles, circle this word. You can write in your Bibles. You can write on the sheets we provide to you. You can write on your notebook, whatever you want to. But if you added that, you would accelerate your spiritual growth. And I know many of you listen to Bible studies occasionally during Grace FM. Great. Soak it in. Take it in. That's the greatest training to be a person of the word. And even if you're not educated, hey, listen, in Acts chapter 4, verse 13, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. Uneducated, untrained, God uses. Now, Verse 18, or excuse me, verse 17. So we wind down. These things I command you that you love one another. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Verse 20, remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. And if they kept my word, they'll keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. Now that's another piece of training that God gives to you and me in life. The training and education of pain. Because having someone hate us, or having many people hate us, is certainly painful. And God will allow various trials and tribulations into our lives that will refine us. Someone once referred to this as the God's seminary of sufferings. 
and difficulties. But think about what Jesus is saying here. Let's just take it at what it says. Jesus says this, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Now, I'm not going to ask for hands, but I am going to ask the question. How many of us here today, individually, have people individually that hate us because of our relationship with Jesus Christ? Now, if we did ask for hands, I would guess that it might split the room 50-50, maybe even 40-60. That not too many people listening to me right now could say that someone hates them only because of their relationship with Jesus Christ. You might have difficulties with people and interpersonal things. That's not what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is saying that your love for one another and your love for him is going to be so radical to an unloving world that some response of those in the world will be severe animosity towards you. Here's the problem. Something to consider and pray about this week. The problem is this. We don't like to be hated. I don't know anybody that would take out a yellow pad and draw a line down the middle and say, the people that love me and the people that hate me. And you're writing down all the names and you get to the people that hate me and like, I don't want that list at all. So what do we do in order to help people like us or not hate us? I'll tell you what we do as Christians. We compromise. So think about the ineffectiveness of the church of Jesus Christ on the earth today when it's both loveless and in compromise. And then it becomes very accepted by the world. Kind of fits in where where the world is. And there's really nobody coming against the church. Now don't think of just the church at large. There's certainly hatred toward the church at large, for sure. And don't think of it as the local congregations in a community. There's certainly hatred toward local congregations. A friend of mine has been battling the zoning of his city in California for years. And the whole community is up in arms against them and literally hates their presence in their pristine community. And they're fighting that battle. Not talking about that. I'm talking about the personal, I'm a believer of Jesus Christ without compromise. And because of my lack of compromise and my genuine love, hatred is the response. Where you'll go love, you'll be the loving one and the response will be hatred. Now, of course, around the world this is happening. And it will happen more and more in our culture, for sure. The world will not like you. The world will call you names. The world will seek to marginalize you and your beliefs. The world will write articles and blog posts and books saying that Christians, and then you can fill in the blank, Christians are going to take over the world. Christians are a blight to society. Christians don't believe in science or whatever it is. And on a more personal level, Christians, believers in Jesus, will lose their jobs because of their faith. They'll lose clients because of their faith. They'll lose businesses because of their faith. Churches, local congregations will be burned down. Heads will be cut off. Lives will be lost. Why? Because of the love of Christ and the hatred toward the world. In Luke chapter 17, verse 33, it says, Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life will preserve it. Christians will lose friends. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 4, it says, In regard to these, they think it's strange that you don't run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. 
Now, we don't use that language at all. Let me rephrase it for you. Your old party friends are really, really mad at you because you don't party with them anymore. And now they make fun of you and call you names because you don't hang out with them anymore. That's what Peter said. Peter said that in the first century because you've chosen to live a different lifestyle. You've chosen to go in the direction that God has for you. Those that were once your friends or who you thought were your friends will turn their backs on you. And then he says this, though. They'll give account to the one that's ready to judge the living and the dead. Christians will also lose their lives. As Jesus says, notice in chapter 16, verse 2, we'll get to in a future study, they will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God service. Isn't that what Saul of Tarsus was doing when he went to Damascus? He thought he was serving God. Isn't that what they were doing when they stoned Stephen in the beginning of the book of Acts? They thought they were giving a service to God. Isn't that what ISIS is doing today as they think they're giving their false God service? by killing people they declare as infidels in this jihad that they've declared, it's happening in our time, in our culture, in our lifetime. It's probably happened more than once by the time I finish this message. We're making our way through the Gospel of John here on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. He'll be right back with more. To hear today's message again, go to AboundingGraceRadio.com. And we have an app that we'd like to recommend. It's free and available on all platforms. This is another way to listen to Pastor Ed's teachings, including this present series. Search for Ed Taylor or Calvary Church and download our church app today. At Abounding Grace, we're committed to delivering God's Word to people all across the world, but we can't do it alone. We're very thankful for the listeners that come alongside us with financial aid and prayerful support. Your gift, whatever the size, would be greatly appreciated and put to good use. If you'd like to help us reach people with the love and truth of Christ, please visit AboundingGraceRadio.com or call 877-30-GRACE. Pastor Ed has written an excellent book for pastors and spiritual leaders called Sure and Steady. This workbook-style guide would be perfect to go through with your elders or pastoral staff. It's designed to remind you of the main things in pastoring and serving others. Each point and corresponding scripture can be used as a foundational truth in the ministry of serving within your church. Request the book Sure and Steady when you call 877-30-GRACE. Again, 877-30-GRACE. Zero Grace. It's our way of saying thank you for a gift of $25 or more. And here's an idea. Since this is Pastor Appreciation Month, why not order an extra copy to give to your pastor? You can order it online too at calvaryco.store. We hope you join us for a service online or in person here at Calvary Church in Aurora. Those service times are Saturday nights at 6 p.m., Sundays at 8.45 and 10.45 in the morning. And we offer a midweek service, too, Wednesdays at 7 p.m. We live stream at calvaryco.church. Now with these concluding thoughts, here's Pastor Ed once again. And so we leave here today with the consideration that love is the choice of obedience. It's not just an emotion. And we ask the question, love and hate, which one will win out? If we're not careful, we'll only look at the things that are temporary and think that hate's going to win out, that the world system is going to overcome the love of God. But we know the end of the story. Let's close here. Would you turn over to 2 Corinthians, please, chapter 4? It's a great application of this uh, passage of Scripture. We know the end of the story. Jesus has prevailed. 
He's risen again. He's alive today. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down his life for a friend. So lay down your life this week for someone. Throw the wood of the cross, throw the tree of Jesus Christ into the waters of bitterness that might have taken root in your life. Live for Jesus. Embrace his friendship. Obey his word. And keep your eyes eternal. Notice verse 16, chapter 4, 2 Corinthians. Therefore, we do not lose heart. And if there's ever a time that could, in our society, in our politics, in our world today, that would cause someone to lose heart, therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. And here's what Paul says, kind of the equivalent of what Jesus said in John 14. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Love or hate? Pastor Ed Taylor says that's the choice before each of us today. Join him on Monday when we'll hear all about it as we take another look into John chapter 15 on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora. 